Hey, this is Christy. And I'm Keegan. And today we're going to learn a little bit about the way things were originally invented, but that's not how we use them today. Good name. <laughs> yeah, it took me all day to come up with that title. Um, Actually, there Sounds was... like you just came up with it. <laughs> There's no real easy way to say this, like a cute little clever way, but we are going to talk about regular items that we use now um, that maybe kind of happened uh, for a different reason back when they were originally invented. So let's start off with a chainsaw. Keegan, what do you do with a chainsaw? You cut down a tree. Okay. And... You cut it down, but not just, like, how would you cut it down? Like, what's specific about the chain and the saw? Like, is it, like, back and forth? No, like... it's just, like, a. there's, like, an engine in it, a yeah. little motor. It just goes, like, um, And, yeah, they didn't always have motors. The chain part of it, you know, can you picture the chain that wraps around the blade? Yeah. Kind of like a bike chain. And so they originally were using hand crank saws for that same that same effect with the chain. Mm -hmm. um, think of like a bicycle pedal. Actually, I just used bicycle twice. You know, we're just going to crank it to get it to go. And instead of wood cutting devices, they were actually used to split a woman's pelvis open to allow a baby to pass through the birth canal. What in the world? Yikes. What? <laughs> Who thought of such a thing? Oh, I'm glad you asked. It was a German physician, Bernard Heine. I'm taking a little liberty with the uh, pronunciation it's because... No, he pronounced like Heine. <laughs> because he created such a terrible device. Um, but his, actually, his device was kind of Heine. <laughs> two Scottish doctors, um, John Atkin and James Jeffrey, also developed a similar device. And yeah, there we go. Um, I think the German physicians is actually just bone cutting in general. Uh -huh. However, the Scottish doctors added it into the childbirth procedure. Interesting. So let's just say I'm happy that we are, well, we're not in the 20th century, but I'm happy the 20th century rolled around yep. and we switched to patenting chainsaws as wood cutting devices. I couldn't even imagine how badly that hurt. Yeah, that sounds terrible. All right. They're just like, here, bite on this stick. See? <laughs> bite on this bullet. We don't have any numbing for you. How we ran they, out yesterday. How did they get the stick? How did they cut the stick from the tree if they didn't have chainsaws? <laughs> Maybe that's how they made the connection. All right. So on the topic of tools, this isn't exactly uh, the same type of idea, but WD-40 is something mm -hmm. that's in many people's toolboxes. Just for making greasing things up so it's that's not as squeaky yeah so a nice little spray um it comes with that little does it still come with that little red straw that yeah. you can attach to it and spray it and uh, I mean it is a staple for toolboxes everywhere <clears throat> and it was actually invented as a rust prevent pre can't talk rust prevention solvent and what's great is that it's all in the name right there and so WD stands for water displacing. It was a water displacing formula to um, to prevent rust and corrosion on missile uh, Atlas missile outer skins. And it was actually a chemist at a rocket chemical company that came up with this. And it took him, guess how many attempts it took him to come up with the the correct salt, the correct formula? Seventeen. 
Well, it's not WD-17. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it took him 40 attempts. So it's a water, displace, water displacing formula. Took him 40 attempts to get the right formula. Hence, uh -huh. WD-40. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought WD-40 was the brand name and not the actual name of what it's called. Correct. Um, it was actually created by a rocket chemical company. Mm -hmm. However, once they found out that people were using it at home and they began putting it in aerosol cans and they shifted over and there you go. There's your company. There's your product. There's your way to make money. Interesting. And so there's, a, it was created in San Diego mm -hmm. and there's a, it hit San Diego shelves first in 1958. And that is where there's a museum in San Diego where I found all of this information. But by the end of the first year, they had doubled in size, selling 45 cases a day to stores in the area. Okay. Yeah. So forget the rockets. Um, we want to uh, lubricate our... What is it? Nuts and bolts and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Okay. What about Listerine? So we're moving away from the tools onto the, like medicine. I'm not even going to lie to you. I don't even know what Listerine <laughs> is. Okay. Well, Listerine today is mouthwash. And it. I've know, heard of Listerine. No, you haven't. Oh. <laughs> so you've heard of Listerine. You just got the words mixed up. Okay. Um, it actually focuses now on a cure for chronic halitosis which is a fancy way of saying bad breath and so you know now it's a popular name go to walmart you can mm -hmm. pick up listerine but originally it was created to be a surgical antiseptic so hey we're gonna cut you open let's pour some listerine on it to make sure that you don't oh. get <laughs> bad uh, no to get the germs off of it i before. know but okay still, well that didn't it'd that... be like rubbing alcohol that's, I feel like that's how it would feel. But it didn't sell. So then they're like, what if... We put it in our mouths. We clean our floors with it. Yeah. And you know what? Let's cure gonorrhea. What? Let's just pour it on everything. So they kills. just decided it was a cure for gonorrhea? <laughs> yeah. It, it didn't even have to be. They just decided it was. And imagine it didn't sell as imagine well. Imagine if you had gonorrhea and they're like, here you go. Here's some Listerine. They're like, what if I put that in my mouth? <laughs> some some every story ends with some or starts with somebody saying what if i put that in my mouth that's how we have all the delicious foods we have today and that's so why have... what you're saying is i could probably pick just something from like what if lotion was actually yeah. a mouthwash what if, too or what if what if it was a toothpaste what if it's cortisone 10 isn't that what you used one time yeah <laughs> no yeah it was something like that or preparation age or something I think it was something that looked like toothpaste but wasn't um so yeah i guess you've actually had your own experiment accidentally it wasn't toothpaste but in 1985 they started promoting it to dennis as a cure for bad breath and starting in the 1920s there we go listerine as we know it to cure not blistering. Not blistering. I'm not sure. Maybe you got the bad breath of bees mixed up. Um, okay, actually, I went a little out of order. I think I made my document backwards because we're, we we, we jumped from medicines and now we're on treadmills, but I, I kind of meant that to be under tools. Okay, treadmills. What's a treadmill? Uh, you run on it. You or run walk. on it. Run, walk, make funny TikToks on it in the gym. I might yeah. have done that before. 
Um, do you remember? Maybe you weren't there. Were you there for that Jeopardy when I had a treadmill? Uh-huh. They were originally used for torture devices, right? Um, I want to say torture. Like for prisoners. prisoners. Yeah, but they were definitely for prisoners. Well, and... it wasn't like, oh, you did so good today. You get to walk on the treadmill. It was like a punishment. Wasn't yeah, it? pun. I, I like punishment better than torture device. Hmm. Uh, I guess I don't really like either one. Um, they've actually been around forever. The first uses were recorded by ancient Romans, and it wasn't a, a punishment or an exercise. It was just a way to um, oh, lift heavy things? objects. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes But okay. the version that we see today, you know, started off in prisons because an engineer named Sir William Cubitt decided uh, the prisoners were lazy. Yeah. So he designed something that was similar to that that wheel that the Romans would use, except there were steps on the outside of the wheel, and he alternate he altered the design so it could be used for pumping water and grinding grains. And somewhere along the line, um, they started motorizing it and using it to diagnose cardi- cardiovascular diseases. And in 1960, first commercial treadmill for home use was invented. So, have you ever been on a treadmill but not turned it on? Yes. So, that's how it was. That's what it was like because it was being used mm. manually. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, it wasn't until the 1950s that they added in the motorized version. So, mm. that actually does sound like torture to go on a treadmill that isn't yeah. motorized. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Toys. What's a slinky? It's like a slinky. A slinky is a slinky? Yes. Well, do you want me it's to... like a spring, I guess. Yeah, it rolls downstairs. Yeah. So a slinky is a children's toy. And what is it made out of? Metal? I don't know. Yeah, some of them are metal. Some of them are plastic. It, I mean, just nowadays. The plastic can't... ones get tangled so easily. The metal ones get bent so easily. Oh. So they both have their pros and cons. Give and take. But the reason it was invented, it wasn't originally designed to be a children's toy. It was designed for submarines or just not just submarines, but ships in general Mm -hmm. to make sure or just to kind of to solve the problem of keeping navigational equipment from shifting as the vessels rocked at sea. So he coiled up some wires to create a spring. And what happened is it accidentally fell off of a bench one day. Mm -hmm. And it kind of walked, you know how it walks downstairs. Yeah. It kind of started walking end over end. And he told his wife about it. And they're like, huh, this actually sounds kind of fun. So he built it in 1943 for the ships at sea. Uh-huh. But by 1944, he was making a toy. The first one sold in 1945. So right away, his wife was like, this looks like a good toy. Let's patent it and make some money. Bubble wrap. Popping. Is that what it's made for, for popping? Well, it's made for, like, keeping things safe, like, uh, delicate, fragile stuff safe in so, packaging. That's what it's used for now. It was originally designed as wallpaper. What? <laughs> Could you imagine, like, bumping into your wall and just, like, everything... That was literally the point. What? <laughs> to bump into the wall and to have bubble How wrap on it. How often would you have to replace it? I don't know. The original version was made out of two shower curtains. Oh. Yeah. And they uh, 
they realized that maybe this wasn't the best idea because like you said, you're going to have to keep replacing it. And so they eventually found success with IBM. So one of their marketers convinced IBM to use bubble wrap to cover the computers during shipping mm -hmm. and uh, shipping material, packaging material is officially born. Much better use of it. Yes. And also, you know, as a fun distressor mm -hmm. to pop yourself. But could you imagine just sit here all day, I know, pop everything bump, on your wall, bump. and then all of a sudden it's gone. But maybe it's a cheap. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know how much it would have cost back then. Okay, what about Play-Doh? Um, used for eraser. Well, what do you do with it? I mean, oh, you play with it. It's like dough, and you play with it. <laughs> Clever name. Um, so it was originally created to be a wall wallpaper cleaner. Hmm. So it was developed by a soap company, and they would clean wallpaper with it, rub it on the walls and whatnot. And it was similar to modeling clay. And when the inventor's sister-in-law used it in her classroom, they came up with the idea for Play-Doh. And they actually, um, they took the hazardous materials from the cleanser out of it, and they started modeling it as clean modeling compound for children. I guess modeling plays dirty. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, they loved it. Okay, what about Frisbees? Um, they're just discs, discs that you can spin and they just glide across the air. Yep. And originally, they were pie pans. Just to shape the pie? Uh, just what you would cook it in. So yeah. William Frisbee opened a company called the Frisbee Pie Company, and he sold his pies in tin pans, and the students at Yale University threw them around once they were empty, mm -hmm. and they started yelling Frisbee as they were doing it. And voila, he realized that that was more popular than his pie-making abilities. Um, one day, he produced a plastic version, and it flew better than the tin version. And here we go. Whammo started calling them Pluto platters initially because, you know, with... No. Mm -hmm. No? You don't like that? No. With the fascination of space and whatnot, extraterrestrials. Now, I'm surprised you didn't know this, only because you've seen Back to the Future 3. Mm -hmm. And Marty McFly grabs a frisbee pie company tin and he throws it at biff or biff's great grand mad dog tannin yeah. and the gun falls out of his hand or whatever and everyone's like all shocked mm -hmm. but so you know maybe marty mcfly invented this frisbee maybe. instead of these yale students You'd never know calvin klein or what did they call him? clint eastwood in that movie <laughs> okay on to food and drinks so you know what these are so i'm not going to have you describe them but seven up Mm -hmm. The drink was originally a mood stabilizing drug. So its original name, little more of a mouthful, mouthful, bib label lithiated lemon lime soda. I like seven up better. <laughs> so the lithiated part came from the ingredient lithium, which was used to treat patients with mental health problems like bipolar disorder, depression, and mania. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So seven up was uh, just a drug to to cause uh, to help solve mental health problems so then they changed the name to seven up lithiated lemon soda and finally just decided on seven up so it's said to say that the up comes from elevating your mood mm. and there's some arguments over what the seven comes from that was one or isn't lithium the seventh or no yes how do you know all this stuff 
because I'm in chemistry right now. Oh, okay. So that those are exactly the rumors was the seven ingredients in the original recipe or the atomic mass of lithium, which is seven. Um, and then there was someone saying, uh, there, there's not someone, there's a rumor out there that it's because soda has a pH of seven, but that's not true. No, it's not. Didn't you tell me water has a pH of seven? Yeah. yeah so well, like swimming water does. Uh, well, then I, if swimming water has a pH of seven, I certainly don't want to be drinking it. Yeah. All right. So now we are going to shift gears for the rest of the podcast. I'm going to say it's a little more PG-13 than we usually go with. Oh, so nice. just a heads up in case that's not your style. Go ahead and turn it off. But we're going to move on to some funny foods. They're funny because they're so plain and boring and basic. Um, and their intentions were so um, not boring and basic. So extra. So extra. All right. So first off, we have graham crackers. So a Presbyterian minister, it is important. These next two are both very uh, religious men that created them. So that's why I'm mentioning that he was a minister. Uh, Sylvester Graham intentionally developed what's came to be known as graham crackers as an alternative to foods that spurred sexual appetite. So sex is a major evil in society, and Sylvester Graham decided there was a direct connection between diet and morals. And so anytime someone would eat some sort of um, high-seasoned, rich food, it would become, you know, it would make people overly sexual. And he said that if you ate a more bland diet, it would quell urges. So he created graham crackers. And it's kind of funny because... It's not a patent. So graham cracker, it just describes that that shape and style of cracker, mm -hmm. but it's not really like a brand name. It's just and, a blessing. Yeah, but my point is the recipes changed so much from his original completely bland version mm -hmm. that now there's like there's a little sugar in it. If you've ever seen those honey made ones, you can get honey graham crackers. You can get cinnamon. 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 <laughs> that was too hard to say um yeah so those kinds of graham crackers which he would consider high season food and so they're actually a little more risque than he meant to develop <laughs> all right so moving along so that was in uh, 1829 and again in the 1800s uh, we have the development of cornflakes now this is very interesting because these these men did go on, or at least one of the brothers went on to patent it and make a very big company. But we're talking about William and John Kellogg. Mm -hmm. So William especially was like, we need to cure all men of evil. So he actually went to Chicago and he's like, show me the, the dirtiest, most sinful part of town. And he built a sanitarium there mm -hmm. where you would have people that were, you know, people housed at a sanitarium are deemed to be mentally ill and deviants and this, uh -huh. that, and the other. And he's like, okay, we are going to give them a healthy, simple food to the patients made out of plain, dried wheat, corn, and oats. The intention is they wanted a cheap meal. He actually um, started penny dinners. So you could go there if you were poor and you could get food for a penny. However, you're going to eat this diet that they've created for you. Yeah. And so one of the main sins that they were trying to stop was masturbation. And he felt that if you ate cornflakes, you would stop doing this. 
Now, people loved them. I mean, did, have you eaten cornflakes today? Yes, multiple times. Yeah, and talk over here, goof. Uh, I probably eat like two bowls a day. Yeah, and I have already had two bowls today as well. We love cornflakes. Um, they're hit among patients. You know, they all loved them. And it turns out that the two brothers uh, got some dis- got into some disagreements over this. And John was like, I think it was John, one of them, we'll just say John, um, one of them saw the potential in this product, whereas the other one felt that they needed to focus on their mission of curing yeah. men from evil. And so one of them uh, went on to build a wildly successful company. Can you guess what it's called? Kellogg's. Kellogg's, yes. So that is the beginning of cornflakes. I actually love graham crackers too. So this is making me kind of hungry. Okay, last one. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is kind of a hobby of mine. Not Maybe not a hobby, but it very much an interest. I've known most of these stories for many, many years. In fact, I think you've already heard a lot of these stories. Some as well, of them, yeah. Um, just because they're so funny. I just learned about Lysol. And I got to tell you, I was shocked. <laughs> so we have Lysol at our house. Yes. We use it to clean the counters. In fact, it has bleach in it. So I always say, be careful of which towel you use and don't spray it on your clothes and everything. And we use it to clean off the kitchen counters and stove and whatnot. Okay. So it started as an antiseptic disinfectant. Okay. And it helped to end a cholera epidemic in Germany. Okay. So far, so good. Um, It even, you know, the ads were saying that it could fight the influenza pandemic starting, you know, like a hundred years before coronavirus. In fact, Uh I remember a couple of years ago when people were talking about the coronavirus, if you look on the back of Lysol, it talks about all the viruses mm-hmm. and coronavirus was actually on there because it was a thing before COVID-19. It just yeah. wasn't something we talked about. Yeah. And so it started reaching drugstores and hospitals and they had an aerosol spray version by 1962. Okay. However, we did kind of skip the 1920s and 30s in there, and they kind of took a little offshoot and kind of targeted women, specifically uh, feminine hygiene. And so in 1920, there were all of these ads out there for uh, women to, quote, keep their body germ free and maintain their dainty feminine allure by using... Lysol, in essence, to clean themselves. Okay. So if said, um, basically, if you love your husband, you will inject Lysol. Oh goodness! Inside of you, um, to clean all the germs. Jeez. Now you're you're hearing this from your 2023 brain, but let me tell you that these were. We're little coded messages. So germ control, quote unquote, and, or, be, or keeping your body germ free rather and maintaining your dainty feminine allure meant don't get pregnant. The germs were the little kids, right? Uh, and the feminine allure was, I guess, your physique. So they were advertising this as a birth control method. What? Lysol. Bleach. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. In fact, all of their ads targeted women not satisfying their husbands because 
I don't know, they got pregnant or they just needed to be germ-free. Well, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you could hear that on the podcast. There's a horse outside our window just neighing. Here's an ad. This is actually a quiz, a love quiz for married folks. So this is an ad that you would find in a magazine. Why does she spend the evening alone? So there's a husband walking out the door and a very sad wife sitting on the sofa. Yeah. The answer, because she keeps her home immaculate, looks as pretty as she can and really loves her husband, but neglects that one essential, personal feminine hygiene. Question, so this is part of the quiz. Is this really important to married happiness? Answer, wives often lose the precious air of romance, doctors say, for the lack of the intimate daintiness dependent on um, keeping themselves clean. For this, look to reliable Lysol brand disinfectant. Now, this next question, is Lysol safe and gentle as well as extra effective? And it says yes, and it kind of gives some... What does it say? Yes, the proved germicidal efficiency of Lysol requires only a small quantity in a proper solution to destroy germs and odors, give a fresh, clean, wholesome feeling, blah, blah, blah. However, what do you think bleach is going to do? Kill you. Kill you. Yes. People were dying by using this as a birth control. Now, at this time in our history, in the early 20th century, Birth control methods like condoms and diaphragms were costly and difficult to acquire. And there is something called the Comstock Act of 1873 um, that made uh, contraceptive devices or information about them obscene, and therefore they couldn't be distributed across state lines or via email. And so lots of access and information was restricted about birth control. However, if we call them... Um, germ-free, feminine allure kind of things in a magazine, that wasn't illegal. And so a lot of people ended up dying for this. In fact, by 1911, doctors had recorded hundreds of Lysol-related deaths, including five from, quote, uterine irrigation. So that was in 1911, but they're advertising this well into the 1920s and 30s, and they promised... Um, in ads that they were non-caustic and gentle, but it turns out that they could cause burns and even death. Um, there was actually a lawsuit in 1935 from someone who experienced burns, and they decided, the courts decided it must have been a result of a Lysol allergy. Sorry, you're just allergic yeah. <laughs> to bleach. No money for you. So it wasn't until 1961 where a man complained to the company after his wife started to blister and bleed and that they the vice president actually told him that this report was the first of its kind on record but they finally were able to you know get them to change the formula and also the target of the ads so today's lysol is one fourth the potency of what it was back then right and um they did a study in 1933 and they found that near they they interviewed 507 women who used Lysol for birth control, and half of them ended up pregnant. It didn't even work. It didn't even. I mean, are you surprised it didn't work? No. No. I'm not. Well, actually, I am because it probably would have killed the baby. Yeah. True. True. Um, I guess it depends on, yeah, biology. We don't need to get into that today. 
All right. Any other inventions and wacky ideas that started one way and ended up another? Not that I could think of. All right. So, Keegan, tell everyone where they can find us. You can find us on Instagram at mastering.none. Feel free to comment on our Instagram, review, give us a five-star review. and Yeah, yeah. Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to, wherever you listen to us. Yep. All right. And we will see you next time. Yep. Bye. Bye.